right, good morning. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, if you've got one of our Bibles, uh, it is on page 966. We're going to be taking a look at verses 49 to 53 today. We've been walking through the book of Luke for a while now, and I, I, I think I need to remind you why the book of Luke was written. Okay, we haven't talked about that for a while. If you remember, way back in chapter 1, Luke says that he was writing to his friend Theophilus for the purpose of helping Theophilus to be certain. All right, we'll try this. Okay, so going back, chapter 1, he's writing to Theophilus. He wants Theophilus to be certain about what he's been taught about Jesus. But it wasn't for, I want to make this clear, he's not trying to increase the certainty of Theophilus so that Theophilus can walk around with his arrogance about him saying, oh, look, I know something nobody else knows. I know something you don't know. I know about this guy, Jesus. You know what? I'm going to heaven. You're not. He, that was not his purpose. Okay, that's not why we should increase our faith or increase our certainty about Jesus. His heart behind this was to teach Theophilus and, and help Theophilus's faith so that Theophilus would be willing to, to follow Jesus no matter what the cost. And that's what we see over and over in Luke. We see the cost of following Jesus, right? He wants to, to instill in Theophilus such a faith, a, such a faith that he is bold to, to proclaim the gospel to the point he doesn't care what anybody else is thinking. He doesn't care what happens to him. He's going to go for Jesus no matter what. He's going to be all in. And I want you to think about that as we look back at chapter 12. Okay, think about the scene in chapter 12. If you remember, in chapter 12, Jesus and his followers are in the midst of this big crowd of people. There's this huge crowd of people that are pressing in on him. People have come from miles away to hear Jesus. They, they want to they wanna hear his teaching. They want to see maybe a miracle. They've heard that Jesus gives away free food also. So you can imagine the, the crowd of people. They're literally walking over each other to, to get to Jesus. I kind of I, I picture a scene from like an old school rock concert, right? Where there's no, there's no stage or light or smoke or anything like that, but people are just kind of pressing in on each other. Or, or maybe like in high school, if there's like a fight in the cafeteria, you remember those days? And like everybody circled around the, the people that were fighting and, and just kind of pressed in and the crowd just kept getting bigger and the people in the back of the crowd, don't, they don't even know what's going on, but the, the, the crowd draws a bigger crowd. And it's in the midst of this chaos that Jesus huddles up his disciples and starts to warn them about the dangers of this world. And he starts by pointing out, don't be like the hypocrites. Okay, Don't be like these hypocrites that, that are just scared to death about what other people are going to think about them or say about them or might do to them. And so they they act like they're superior than everybody else. And don't be like them. That, that there's, they've got this huge fear of man. And, and, and it's interesting. After he warns them, then one of these hypocrites, one of these guys kind of pipes up and, and butts in. There's somebody from the crowd that interrupts his teaching and wants Jesus to, 
to resolve this dispute between him and his brother. He's like, tell my brother to give me my inheritance. And Jesus uses that rude interruption to teach his disciples and warn his disciples not to, to covet. He warns them against coveting and being wrapped up in the things of this world. He says, don't, don't be like this, this farmer who is rich and, and uh, hoards up all of his stuff to, to, to be lazy and to, to live life for himself. And... In this chapter, it's, it's, I think it's really significant that Jesus has pretty much dealt with the two of the primary things that keep people from following Jesus and that cause people to, to walk away from the church. It's the, the fear of man, the fear of other, what other people are going to think about us, and then the fear of losing our stuff or not having enough stuff, the materialism. I mean, these are two primary reasons why people don't follow Christ. And so Jesus addresses those, and then he goes on to say, look, you need to be ready. He tells his disciples, look, you need to be ready. Be like a servant that is waiting for their master re to return, because one day Christ is going to come back. And he says, look, be ready and be doing what your master has called you to do, because one day your master is going to come home and He's going to look at you, and if you're ready, he's going to give you great rewards. But for those who don't anticipate his return, those who get lazy and start living for their own passions, for the, for the things of this world, there's going to be severe punishment. And that leads us to our passage today. And our passage today, if it's taken out of context, it's, it's hard. It's a, it's a head-scratcher. It's a passage, if you look at it, verse 49, you see the, the title for it. It's about division, not peace, but division. And skeptics, they look at this passage and they, they say, look, I thought Jesus was all about peace and about, about love, but here Jesus is saying, no, I, I didn't come for peace. I came for division. I came to cast fire. And so I want to pray one more time before we walk through this passage together. Uh, this is a passage that is, is difficult to understand, but we've got to understand it for us to be able to apply it to our lives. And so let's pray that the Spirit would help us do that. Father, I recognize that passages like this act as a, really a fork in the road for many people. And this is a difficult passage for us to comprehend and understand and see your glory in it. And so I plead with you right now that your spirit would help me have the right words to explain this passage and that you would infiltrate our hearts, not just to understand this passage, but to see the significance of it and to, that we would treasure you more because of what you have to say here in this passage, that we would love you more, that we would see your love for us more, and it would spur us on to be more bold in our proclaiming the gospel to others. For your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, pick up with me in verse 49. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, 
And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Man, that's a hard thing to hear from the lips of Jesus. I mean, why would he say this? And we've got to get this. We've got to understand why he would say this for us to be able to apply it to our lives. And so let's break this passage down. He says, I came to cast fire on the earth. Now, what does he mean by that? Typically in scripture, fire represents what? Judgment. It represents judgment. Throughout the Bible, it typically means judgment. Now, just one example, Nahum 1.6. You don't have to turn there. Nahum 1.6. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. And in our passage in Luke today, it's interesting. In the original language, the word fire comes first in the sentence. And in Greek, that's significant because it, 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 whatever is first in the sentence in a Greek sentence, is what's most important. And so Jesus is emphatic here. He's saying, fire I've come to cast. And the fire being judgment fits well with the rest of the context of this chapter. If you think about it from the very beginning, uh, in the verse 5, Jesus warns his disciples to fear the one after he is killed can also has the authority to cast into hell. He's warning about the judgment. Verse 10 warns us if we commit blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, there is no forgiveness for us. He goes on in verse 20, shares the parable of the rich farmer where he warns his disciples against all covetousness because you never know when your night is going to happen. You never know when your soul is going to be required by God. He's talking about the judgment there. And of course, 35 through 48 is all about Christ's return, where he's going to come back to basically divide the whole world into two different categories, those who are ready and those who are not ready. It's the judgment. So Jesus came to cast fire, to to judge. And if you think about it, fire is not something you can ignore. Okay, If your house is on fire, you don't just keep on going like nothing happen. I mean, if, if your child says, hey, Dad, you, you, I see smoke in the, <laughs> in the house. I mean, you don't just say, oh, it's nothing. There's not, nothing to it. I mean, some of you, if you were here early on when, uh, when we were first starting the church, <laughs> you, you remember this story. Um, we, had, we were setting up at Bullet Central at the auditorium, and this particular Sunday, uh, we, we get there, and it's pouring down rain, by the way. It's like sideways pouring down rain. And we didn't know this, but there was a cheerleading competition happening at Bullet Central. They never told us about this, and so we get there, and it's early, and there's not a parking spot that's available in the whole place. And so we're like, great, what are we going to do? And so we go ahead and set up, and we're like, nobody's going to come today. It's pouring down rain. There's no parking spots. Well, to our surprise, we actually had a pretty good crowd that day. People were parking across the street, and we were trying to figure out other places, and they come in. So we had great service, and at the end of the service, where everybody's leaving, and one of the one of our little children pulls the fire alarm. 
<laughs> at the auditorium. And remember, the place is packed. I mean, there's not, I mean, the, the, the school is packed with people. And, and the fire alarm doesn't just go off in the auditorium. It goes off in the whole school. Now, fortunately, most of the people were in the gymnasium, and it was very loud, and they didn't hear it go off. Nobody actually left. They ignored the fire alarm. Now, of course, though, the, the fire department does not ignore the fire alarm. And so fire truck and police come and, and check to make sure everything was okay. But thank goodness uh, the fire company doesn't ignore even a false alarm, right? Um, if you have a, a fire at home, you never ignore it. Jesus did not come to die on the cross to be ignored by us. He came to cast fire, which is judgment. Uh, C.S. Lewis famously said, you can shut him up for a fool, talking about Jesus. You, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his just being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus is a fork in the road. If you look at his claims, there is no way that you can just think that he was a good person or a good teacher. He claimed to be God. And so fire either, if you think about this, fire either consumes you or it purifies you. Jesus came to be a fork in the road. And I, and I, I remember... When I first realized this, I was in college, and I, 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 I've told this to you guys before, but I grew up in the church. I knew the stories about Jesus, but they just weren't, weren't very significant to me until I got to college. And I can remember sitting down, and there, there's this guy, weird last name, his name's Chris Stuffelben, and he sat down with me, he shares the gospel with me, and through that, and through a number of other people talking to me, God opens the eyes of my heart to, to recognize the significance of the gospel, and I start recognizing the, the significance of my, the depth of my own sin and the depth of God's love for me. And I came to a point, I can remember having a conversation with my roommate back in college my freshman year saying, look, I can't be on the fence with this. Either, either I have, I've got to be all in or I need to just forget about Jesus forget forever because I can't, I can't continue to, to say that I'm a Christian and then go and live a life that doesn't reflect that belief. And I think we all need to make that decision. If we're going to take what Jesus says in the Bible seriously, he's a fork in the road. He's come to cast fire. Jesus demands our full allegiance. He doesn't want fans, Kyle Eidelman says. He wants fully devoted followers of Christ. Jesus says, pick up your cross daily. He says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He demands your full allegiance. But as we see in this passage, that demand for full allegiance is also very divisive. He says in verse 51, do you think that I have come to give peace on the earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. And in fact, if you go to the Gospel of Mal Matthew's version of this same teaching, he ends the teaching by saying, and a person's enemies will be those 
of his own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So let me clarify. Jesus is not implying here that when you become a follower of Jesus that you are just indifferent towards your family. You become indifferent or unloving towards your family. No, in fact, Jesus, when you start following him, he actually helps you be a better father, a better husband, a better wife, a better, a better parent, a better child, because he teaches you how to, how to love them better, how to forgive them more, how to have grace and mercy and sacrifice for others. But the reality is that when you trust in Christ and you're united with him, when the Spirit of Christ captures your heart and your new creation, and you're born again, you're heading in a new path that you, were, you weren't heading in that path before. You're, you're heading in a new direction. Your, your desires change. Your, your passions change. You spend your time and your energy and your money in different ways because you're, you've got a different destiny, a different direction. And those who don't see Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they're not headed down that same path. They've got a different destination that they're heading. And so there's going to be division. And, and the depth of that division will reach all the way down to the, the people that you love the most. Your, your own family may not understand why you're following Jesus. Your, your own family, may, they may end up shunning you. In fact, if you live in another, uh, in another country, in, in, a, in a family that uh, worships another god or, or is part of another religion. There are many, many Christians, when they convert to Christianity, their family just completely disowns them. They're dead to them. But for them, it's worth it. And if, you, if you're fully devoted to Christ, even here in America, you are going to eventually experience rejection from someone. And you ought not be surprised by that. In fact, Jesus promises that. He, he predicts that that will happen. That's going to be part of you following him, Matthew 19, 29. But here's the thing. He also promises blessing for those who are rejected because of their, them following him. Uh, Matthew 19, 29 says, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands for my namesake, and so he expects that that's going to happen. He says, they will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Again, back in Luke 6, 22 and 23, blessed are those, or blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spur your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy and behold, your reward is great in heaven. Peter echoes that same thing in 1 Peter 4.13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when, hi when his glory is revealed. Yet yeah, rejection hurts. But when you are rejected because of your relationship with Christ, you are actually right where God wants you to be. Because in those moments, more than any other moments, you are proving that he is your greatest treasure. You treasure him above everything else in this world. You are saying that, look, 
I am no longer looking to please other people, but I'm looking to please you, God. And in today's passage, I think Jesus gives us one of the most incredible motivations to be fully devoted to him no matter what the cost. Look back at verse 49. He says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. What does he mean by that? The, if you've got a, the NIV version, it actually catches the sense of this a little bit better. Uh, NIV says, I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Notice, first of all, that, that fire that he is casting is not a byproduct of his coming. It's the reason for his coming. And then he says, and I wish the fire would, would light sooner. I wish it were already kindled. What does he mean by that? Again, fire represents God's judgment against sin. And that judgment would be rendered at Calvary on the cross where Jesus would satisfy the justice of God and bear the punishment that we deserve because of our sins. And so when Jesus says, I wish it were already kindled, this is what he's saying. He's saying that I wish Calvary would come quickly. I wish the cross would be here right now. And this understanding helps us to make sense of the next verse, verse 50. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. And so Jesus here, he's not referring of his baptism in the Jordan River. That's already happened. He's referring to another baptism, the baptism that he would experience on the cross when he would be immersed, not in water, but in the wrath of God. Jesus is saying, great is my distress until that is accomplished. Jesus knew that the cross was coming. It was always before him. The anticipation, I can't even imagine how agonizing the anticipation for him must have been. And I love that, the, that Jesus uses the word accomplished here. In the Greek, it's the same root word uh, that he uses when he's on the cross. He, he cries out to telestai. It is finished, which is actually an accounting word that means paid in full. That on the cross, Jesus paid for your sins, past, present, and future, fully. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You want motivation to live for Christ no matter what the cost? I mean, dwell on this for a minute. Jesus knew what was coming. He anticipated it, and it, it gave him great agony. In fact, he sweat blood at one point, agonizing about this, and yet he never wavered. He never turned. He was locked on accomplishing your salvation. He was willing to do whatever it takes. He was willing to take on the shame and the pain and all of the rejection that we deserve. Um, uh, we, we had that eighth grade dance yesterday, and uh, it reminded me of middle school relationships, which are just 
interesting, <laughs> to say the <laughs> least. I'm glad that I'm not in middle school anymore. Um, but in middle school relationships, and you know this if you've experienced middle school, uh, relationships typically start with some kind of mediator, right? There, there's, there's a go-between. There's, there's somebody in, in the middle that has to check, okay, do you like them? And then do you like her? And once everybody knows that everybody's on the same page, then there's an official ask, right? But there's got to be some kind of mediator between because we're not, we're not bold enough at that point to go to the, the girl and say, hey, will you go out with me, okay? You, you got to have the assurance of somebody else that they're, that they're, that, that they're, all, that they're going to be all in, right? And, and, that, that's, and, and it's kind of the same thing. Like when you're older and you're in that moment where, like, you know that you want to say to this other person that I love you, th those words, but those are dangerous words, right? Because what if they don't say it back, right? <laughs> and there's those awkward moments where you're, you're just like, are they going to say, well, I like you very much, you don't want that because you want to know that, you, and so we wait to say those words. I know with Cam and I, um, I, I told her right from the very beginning that, that I, I treat those words very carefully, that I'm not going to say those words to anybody until I know that that person is the person that I want to live the rest of my life for. And, G, and Cameron uh, wanted me to lead in that, and so she wasn't going to say it beforehand. And, and I think part of that, too, was, I mean, she wasn't going to say that until she, she knew that I was all in. But think about this. Jesus said yes to you way before you said yes to him. He was all in way before you were all in. And he invites you into a love relationship with that he is already committed to be all in. This is why it's so worth following him no matter what what the cost? Why we can put ourselves out there knowing that there's going to be rejection. We're going to experience that. If you're sitting here today and you're thinking about, man, all the things that you're going to have to sacrifice if I'm really going to follow Jesus, you might not totally grasp the treasure that you have in Jesus because it's not about what you're losing. It's not about what you're leaving behind. It's about what you're gaining. I know when when I saw Cameron walking down the aisle on our wedding day, I wasn't thinking about what I was going to, the, the freedom that I might be losing as a single guy. Okay, that was not on my mind. I wasn't thinking about any other girls that I might not ever get a chance to be with. No, everything went out, everything went fuzzy. I just saw her. I just wanted her. I, and, I, and my thoughts, the only thing I'm thinking is, I get you. Is there anything greater in all of the universe than gaining God? the creator and the sustainer, the one who is willing to go to the cross for you. Linger on this. You will never give up more for him than he has already given up for you. You will never go further than he has already went for you. You will never suffer more than he has already suffered for you. And so when you feel rejected because of you're following Christ, we should rejoice in those moments. We should celebrate in those moments because in that moment, we get to experience a small taste of what Jesus went through for us, and that should be an amazing, glorious reminder of how much he loves us. In a minute, we're going we're gonna to sing one of our favorite songs by Sovereign Grace. It's called Jesus, Thank You. And I want you to pay attention to the lyrics as you're singing this song. Listen to the lyrics. 
The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend. The agonies of Calvary. You, the perfect Holy One, crushed your son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. By your perfect sacrifice, I've been brought near. Your enemy, you've made your friend. Pouring out the riches of your glorious grace, your mercy and your kindness, know no end. Lover of my soul, I want to live for you. Father, we recognize that often we live for things of this world rather than for you. But you have given us amazing grace. And I pray that you would open up the eyes of our hearts to see your glory. And that we would be more than willing to trade everything that we have for the treasure of Christ for all of eternity. Thank you for being all in for us, even when we are not. Thank you for being faithful to us, even when we are unfaithful. Thank you for giving us everything being willing to suffer. Help us to treasure you so much that we are willing to suffer for you, to be rejected for you. Embolden us to proclaim the gospel message. In Jesus' name, amen.